Hi, welcome to Titular Adventures, titled by at Sydney Zoinks, where you write the titles that create the short stories. This is episode two. Dolores's Day Out, titled by at MKE Marlowe. Dolores paced back and forth. When would she be here already? It felt like she'd been waiting for days. She got herself some water and paced again. She sat down on the couch, got up, looked out the window, sat down again, and licked her butthole for a while. She looked good, and she knew it. Now all she needed was that woman to come through that door so they could go outside. Ugh! She got up on the bed. She knew she wasn't supposed to, but she didn't care anymore. If that woman didn't respect Dolores enough to come in that door so she could go outside, then her fur and butt were going to be all over this pillow. Maybe she'd even chew it. Wait, what was that? Dolores smelled lilac soap mixed with light chlorine pool water. Her ears perked up. This was it. It was happening. Dolores jumped off the bed, ran in circles, and nervously licked her butthole some more. Oh my god, the keys. Dolores could hear the keys coming from the spearmint-smelling purse. Yes! Finally, the woman came through the door. Dolores jumped up as high as she could, which was about to the woman's knees. Then down came the metal hook to snap onto her neck. Dolores loved that sound. When she heard it click, she bolted out the door. The woman was not far behind. One pounding set of stairs later and Dolores was out in the air. She sniffed. Pine, cement, watermelon, bubblegum, children, gasoline, squirrels, a male Karen Terrier, age 12, a female Chihuahua, age 3. Okay, okay, let's get a move on. She pulled south and found her first spot. She squatted and left her mark, reminding everyone who she was. Dolores, Maltese, age 5 and 3 quarters, in the prime of her life. She strutted down the sidewalk, sniffed a tree, maple, lots of dogs. She left another mark, Dolores, Maltese, age five and three quarters, in the prime of her life. Oh my God, they took a left. Dolores knew what that meant, the pet store. And that meant treats. This was incredible. She ran ahead, yanking on her own neck, but too excited to feel it. They were close. So many dogs. Boston Terrier, age 13, female. Labrador Retriever, Bulldog Mix, age 10, female. Akita Husky Mix, age 4, male? Oh my. She left her mark for the Huskita. Dolores, Maltese, age 5 and 3 quarters, in the prime of her life. You'll know who I am. They walked in and immediately she saw the man with the beard who gave the treats. The woman always went to the bearded man. The longer they talked, the more treats he would give out. Dolores wanted them to talk forever. She sat like she was supposed to and received her first treat. Salmon. Hot damn, today was a good day. She waited and waited and waited, then smelled it from the back of the store. Past the salmon, past the green bones, past the pig ears, a hint of grass and goose poop caked into the fur of a beautiful male four-year-old husky Akita mix. He was here. She turned and waited. He came around the corner and she popped up to his side. Her tail was going absolutely bonkers. She sniffed his neck to feel it out. No aggression. Good, good. She moved to the side. No sudden movements. No gruff sounds. Bingo. That was the go-ahead. She sniffed the butt. Just as she thought, he too was in the prime of his life. This was perfection. It was meant to be. She hopped around him, to one side, then the other, then to the front. Here we go. She was really putting herself out there now. She lifted her rear in the air, her gift to him. Good thing she had done all that licking earlier, she thought. 
Now it was really going to pay off. He sniffed. She waited. She smelled. Salmon? Salmon? She turned. He was getting a treat? Ugh, come on! We're in the prime of our lives here, and you're getting treats from the bearded man? She turned and lifted again, and waited. Nothing. As Dolores stood, vulnerable, with her quaffed butthole high in the air, she smelled the grass and goose poop husquita scent fading away. He was leaving. She lowered her butt, gave herself one more moment of disappointment, then thought, his loss. I'm Dolores, Maltese, age five and three quarters, in the prime of my life, and he was probably fixed anyway. She sat, got another salmon from the bearded man, and thought, maybe someday the bearded man would come home with them and she could get treats and pets from him all day long. And when the woman didn't come through the door, he could walk her. That would be nice as long as the woman didn't mind having a bearded man in her home. I hope that you don't think I'm rude, but I want to make out with you. They knocked harder than expected. Titled by at Philip Mottis. We're closed, I said again, but the plebeians weren't giving up. Fine, I would let them enter and we would converse again, sprinkling our dialogue with trails that would make them cross paths, sending them in new ordinal directions they never considered possible, all leading to dead ends. Emphasis on dead. And all. Mr. Martin, Mr. G.N. Martin, open the door, please. Mr. Martin? G.N.? But... How? How is that possible? There's no way they could have deciphered that. Not already. The clues were much too obscure, weren't they? Or had we switched places? Had I become that ludicrous creature with only a badge and words on a page that would rot? And had he become the puppeteer with the upper hand, the legend with a legacy of brilliance, leading me right to his trap, my front door? He was barely worthy. And yet he knew of Mr. Martin, G.N. Martin. And therefore, he knew of all the severed heads. I could smell his cigarette smoke from in here. How could a man who spent all day killing his senses smell my deception? Nine months later. I bummed a thumbful of tobacco from R.J. to roll later. I palmed it in my hand so the guards didn't see it, which makes it taste sweaty, but it was better than nothing. There was a reporter coming today. To be extremely honest, I was a tad bit nervous. You assume you'll never be caught, but if you are, this is the moment you're waiting for. The Clarice to visit your Hannibal Lecter. Yes, the FBI had figured out most of it, but there were still a few dangling participles I could punctuate. The real dream is to get your name out there. Find the like-minded, or the weak-minded. And then the letters of devotion come pouring in. Like I said, nobody wants to be caught, but everyone wants to be adored. The men didn't understand me. Their crimes were petty and passion-fueled, if they even admitted to a crime, which was rare and confused me greatly. Why not revel in your accomplishments? We've all thrown conventional ethics to the wayside. At this point, who cares? 
I, however, embraced my past, and I believe the guards appreciated me for it. I could tell they were curious, but they must have been warned about me because they never asked. I was told the interview was a journalist from a magazine. Print, I thought. Pros and cons for sure. I was curious if I was just one piece of a larger puzzle or if my interview was the entire meal. I made notes for myself in my head, adjectives to use, timelines I wanted to play with. She wouldn't know what hit her. I assumed it was a she. I starved myself for a couple days. I thought looking more gaunt may add to the appeal. Would there be photographs? A good journalist could paint quite the appealing picture with words, and I'm sure they sent the best. At last, it was my day. I walked into the visiting area and sat at a table. Hands clasped? No. Hands under the table hidden? No. Hands on the table, fingers spread wide apart, tapping? Yes, that feels right. She was late. How dare she? Unless this was her technique. How superb. I felt worthy. She was definitely taking the upper hand. She knew I had nowhere to go. There was but a half hour left to visiting time. I started deciding which parts of the story I would have to cut in my head to fit the time. Minute by minute, the story was chopped down. Less time for embellishments meant only facts. Yet it's not just having a tree in your home that brings joy during Christmas time. It's the lights, the ornaments, the accoutrements. Big Jake walked over. Can't he see I was deep in thought? I have a message for you. From the journalist, he said. It couldn't possibly be, but I decided to play his game. And what is it? I inquired. He pulled down his pants and revealed his testicles. On one was written, suck, and on the other, my balls. He laughed. I looked around. They all laughed. The so-called criminals, the guards, everyone. There was no journalist. There was to be no story. Once again, I was at the disadvantage of the world around me. I was, as they say, to suck their balls. I walked back to my cell, and there, I was beaten very, very badly by my cellmate. Nobody cared, least of all me. Because I still knew I understood the world better than all of them. Wait and Worry, titled by at Sydney Zoinks. She was the first person to ever put a numerical weight to an idea, the actual thought about a possible course of action. Dr. Samantha McClintock had been studying the brain and neurons and neuroscience for over three decades when she stumbled on her discovery. I say stumbled. Truthfully, as surprised as she was to find that an idea had a weight that could be calculated, you could also say that she had been working her entire life towards it, even if it was unknowingly. Either way, the science community was in an uproar. Part of it was because she had invented her measuring techniques herself, because previous instruments didn't exist to her liking, so no other scientists were able to easily recreate her measurements. But the majority of the anger came from the fact that she discovered not only did ideas have weight, but the better idea, the more it weighed. Example. 
an average, fairly inconsequential idea like, if I go to Walmart, I can get eggs and socks and save myself a trip, had a weight of exactly 1.36574443432 times 9 to the negative 19 kilograms, according to her findings. However, an idea like, I believe I can actually empirically weigh an idea, well, let's just say it weighed a lot more. Honestly, as the narrator, I may be omnipotent, but even I don't quite understand it. I just know it works. I also know, in science, anything that has the power to prejudge intelligence takes on enormous moral consequences and risks. Dr. McClintock refused to publish her findings, but her colleagues in the lab pushed back. This was one of the biggest discoveries in human history. That part she agreed with. Her concern was, was the information truly useful? She thought of Alfred Nobel, the inventor of dynamite, who killed his own brother in the process, and whose own extreme guilt led him to leave a large chunk of his inheritance to creating the Nobel Prize, given to those who have given the greatest benefits to mankind, which he, he believed, never did. She did not want to die with such guilt. But as her lab mates pointed out, he also created the Nobel Prize which was true. She struggled. Ideas are transported by neurons in the brain just like any process by which information is transmitted. Why should their contents make any difference? Her words, not mine. But information, like any new weapon, can so easily be used against other people instead of for them. Once her study was out in the world, she would be faulted for every bad association that came with it. Would ideas weigh less for people with lower IQs, even if the ideas were similar? Would ideas like how to commit a crime or how to get away with a crime that were objectively good ideas be considered less harmful or worse yet lauded because of their weight? Dr. McClintock had barely slept in months, and she knew the longer she waited, the less it mattered. Eventually, the discovery would make its way out of the lab through whispers or brags or an email or an invoice or maybe even in someone else's paper. Science had always solved her worries before. There was a comfort in the lab and numbers that put her emotions and anxiety in the back seat, but now it was exactly the problem. So why not lean into it? Let the lab decide. The numbers. She would weigh the ideas. Should she publish the research or destroy it? Whichever idea weighed more, she would do. But wait. I know I'm just the narrator here, but could two incredibly different ideas be weighed and judged against each other for their merit by comparison? Wouldn't you only be able to see a true contrast between two ideas with similar values? Where was the constant? Wouldn't the variety of the ideas have an impact on... Oop, too late. Samantha unlocked the lab to go in at night and get her answer once and for all. And two hours later, she was swinging a bat going to town on her computer and hard drives. She set fire to data sheets and any notes she could find. She erased her phone and her colleagues' work phones and left. It was the most unscientific thing she had ever done, and it made her sick. I guess she never emailed anyone about her research? Who knows? But as Socrates once said, science begets knowledge, opinion begets ignorance, and this work would surely turn all her science into other people's opinions. My words, not hers. So, did she do the right thing? Honestly, 
I have no idea. Thank you for listening to Titular Adventures. If you've got the title of a short story you'd like to hear made, send it to me on Twitter at Betette. That's at B-E-T-E-T-T-E. Oh, girl, won't you stop, won't you stop taking my heart?